What's up, guys? Welcome back to Storytime with Uncle Reddit. My name's John, and this is r slash Tales from Tech Support. I was going to record earlier, but I had a few chores to do around here, and then a big old thunderstorm popped up. Uh, somebody asked me the other day if the Canada wildfires, if we were being affected by the smoke down where we are, uh, we're near the east coast of the state of Maryland on the mid-Atlantic region, and uh, we weren't until the other day, and then all of a sudden it started getting a little hazier, a little hazier, Yesterday was pretty hazy. Today, this morning was really hazy. Nothing like New York City or anything like that. But uh, So this rain should help knock it down for at least a little while. I mean, we're having air quality warnings down here, but nothing like everybody's getting up north. So I think we're pretty fortunate down here. Anyway, let's do some tech support. You do realize this is an emergency, right? I work for network support for a large retailer. I have different retail stores that call us from time to time about their internet being out or connectivity issues. This was an actual conversation I had with a store manager last week. They called me early in the morning to let me know their internet was out. This conversation was two hours later. I already spoke with the ISP and they had a wide area outage. They call my direct line and don't even give me a chance to answer hello. Store manager, our internet is still out. Me, yes, the ISP is still working to resolve the issue for your area. Store manager, you do realize this is an emergency, right? I can't accept payments or access our shared drive on the manager's computer. Me. Yes, but I can't make the ISP work faster than they already are. They have cut fiber lines in your area they're trying to fix. Store manager. Can you escalate it? Me. Uh, it's, it's already escalated. That's why they have a greeting on their system saying they're aware of the issue and currently working to get it resolved ASAP. Store manager. We'll call them and tell them to hurry up. <laughs> me. No, that's not how this works. People can be so impatient. I can understand being in that manager's position and being a little panicky because you can't take payments, you can't get into your computer systems, you can't, just nothing works. I get it. But at the same time, um, yeah, you can't make the service provider go any faster, especially with cut lines. When it was cut telephone lines, cut fibers, what, whatever it is, it takes as long as it takes. And you want it done right, otherwise you're going to have more outages or sporadic outages. So just chill out and let them do their jobs. And while this manager may not know anything about tech or, you know, internet service or anything like that, uh, you kind of need to trust your tech team to know what's going on. And if they tell you there's nothing you can do, you got to chill out, then chill out. Web dev canceled DNS registrar. Google DNS throws a fit. Clients Web Dev decided that it was time to move their website hosting to another vendor. All website vendors' hosting platform also serves the customer's DNS. Instead of notifying IT, us, the Web Dev decided to go forward with the move without considering what all would be affected. As a result, the new web host did not move the DNS management to the new web platform, and the old service ended up canceled. With no live DNS hosting in place for the domain, all their DNS records were gone, which caused a lot of problems, obviously. This is the point in the story where we, IT department, were notified. It ended up taking a while to track down where each component lived, and we ended up having to change the name servers back to where the domain was registered. Network Solutions DNS records were rebuilt manually to restore services. We were able to restore functionality of the website, and for the most part, emails were delivering. Unfortunately, this was not the end of the issue. It was only a couple days later that they reported emails being sent from Gmail and iCloud accounts not delivering. Some of their clients were unable to email them as they received a 550 error stating that the recipient could not be found. There's a quote that comes to mind by Lawrence Douglas Wilder that says, Anger doesn't solve anything. It builds nothing, but it can destroy everything. Ironically, anger solved part of the puzzle. Out of sheer frustration, one of our techs spammed NSLOOKUP on the MX record of our customer's domain using 8.8.8.8. .8 .8 .8. 
as the name server. What he found was shocking to us all. About 85% of the time, Google DNS would return the correct MX record, but the other 15% would return a completely different email server. Reaching out to Google yielded no results as they said there's nothing they can do about the fact that their DNS servers provide the incorrect information. Upon reaching out to Network Solutions, most of the battle was getting them to understand what NSLOOKUP was and what command line was, as they only use their own tools, which are never wrong. The battle always ended with them saying there was nothing they could do. In the end, after lots of back and forth, the answer was changing the name servers yet again to Microsoft 365, where email was hosted. After getting all the DNS records moved over, manually, to M365, the MX record issue now is resolved. My team is under the impression that Network Solutions was the issue point, and they were incapable of finding it and fixing it, assuming they even understood it to begin with. No idea what I just read. <laughs> I remember having some DNS problems when I was uh, doing my web hosting. I buy most of my domain names through GoDaddy, but my hosting is usually in different places, and sometimes getting that to uh, align and work properly can be a little bit frustrating for those of us who don't know what we're doing. I do have a couple people that I can call and you know hit them up for advice once in a while. I try not to abuse that, uh, so sometimes I'm left trying on my own first. And uh, sometimes it works, sometimes... Uh, Sometimes I mess it up, mm -hmm. but I'm usually pretty humble and grateful if somebody's willing to help me. So at least I'm not an ass about it. A two-year-old urine. My very first post on Reddit, so please be gentle. Many years ago, I'm now 57, I got a call from my best mate, very upset and needing urgent help. So as the only person he knew I was electronically minded, he came to me. He had just got the latest and greatest Commodore 128 computer. Cost a fortune here in Australia at the time. It's not working, was the cry. Bring it over and I'll look at it. Thinking it was just the computer TV adapter, more fool me, he turned up with his white computer that just smelled of piss. Turned out that the number one son had dropped the nappy and peed into the keyboard, and I had to get the Commodore working again. I did it. It survived until PCs became a thing. The smell of urine while soldering is something I will never forget. In this day and age, uh, if there's urine and... Like somebody commented down below this, 90% uh, of the time it's going to be cats that are peeing on keyboards and monitors and towers. We had one pee on the side of my tower. Thank God it's a good enclosure and it's glass. Um, but yeah, uh, back then probably nobody knew, you know, especially people who weren't specifically working in IT. But these days you, uh, you turn everything off, you discharge it, and uh, you give it a nice alcohol soak. Soft brush to uh, get loose anything that might be stuck in crevices or whatever. And then uh, allow it to all dry out. Blow it out with some air. And after a little while, you should be good to go. But, uh, yeah. Pee. Hmm. I guess it's better than uh, hearing that he turned around and squatted on it. Ugh. Coworker gets irate with me for not violating policy in order to get a large sale. Shenanigans occur. A coworker was contacted by a new employee at Big Customer. This new employee claimed to be a new purchasing agent for Big Customer and needed an account that had access to our pricing. Not normally a big deal, but this level of access is usually approved by either my supervisor or the VP of Sales. This was a problem because both my supervisor and the VP of Sales were out that day at a conference and were not taking calls. I also noticed an inconsistency that was concerning to me, but I kept my mouth shut, as not to make any accusations. When I informed my coworker that I would have to wait until the next day, they got mouthy with me and explained that big customer needed a quote for a large order ASAP and that they didn't have time to price out everything for them in time. My coworker would have likely gotten a decent commission check, so they were understandably upset. 
Giving the new employee access to Big Customer's account would solve this issue. I asked why a new purchasing employee needed immediate access to what is considered restricted info and why the new employee's supervisor didn't use their own account's access to create an account for the new employee themselves. I was then called lazy, incompetent, a moron, and I was told that I was going to cost the company a shit ton in sales. While pissing off one of our biggest customers, I refused to back down even when other managers were brought in and told me to just do it. The next business day, I'm called into a meeting. My coworker had complained to the VP of sales and wanted me burned at the stake. VP was not happy with me, but asked me to explain the situation. I was then told that I should have just given them access and that loose policies should not get in the way of a potential big sale. Rather than argue about the many times I was told to always follow policy, I walked him through the inconsistency that I noticed. Every purchaser at Big Customer used what I suspect was an email alias, which was something like first.last.department at bigcustomer.com, but the new employee didn't have a department listed in their email on alias. When I explained as much and told him that on top of it being against policy, I had concerns that the new employee was asking for more access than Big Customer would permit. Long story short, the VP called Big Customer and it was discovered that it was an attempt at corporate espionage. The new employee was nothing more than a newly hired warehouse worker with family at one of our competitors. They were attempting to basically steal our contract by underbidding. It was also discovered that as soon as our competitor would be asked for a quote from Big Customer, someone working with the competitor would look through the order for an item with a historical with historically long lead times, and attempt to buy out our stock. This would make Big Customer more likely not to place the order with us. I ended up getting a half-assed apology from the VP, but that was about it. Big Customer supposedly fired the new employee and banned their staff from contacting our competitor. That VP should have been the first one fired in any of this. You know, it's either a policy or it's not. You can't fault people for following policies that are put in place for just this type of scenario. It's ridiculous, quite honestly. People think corporate espionage is a big joke, but uh, there are employees working in seemingly innocent positions in certain companies who will get access to certain information and they're getting paid. They're double dipping. They're getting paid to work like the warehouse, but their competitor is also paying this guy to give them information while working there. Yeah, there's no loyalty. There, there's none. You can't bet on that at all. And it happens. Some companies are big. Some companies are small, but either way, it's rotten and it happens daily, so gotta watch your back. Customer wanted faster internet for free. I'll see you in court. Fortunately, I was not in direct contact with this customer. Rather, this errand landed on my lap as a result of first line calling me at second line for help with a rather demanding customer. See, this customer had called us asking for a reduction in his monthly fee, for no other reason except thinking we're too expensive. Since he already had the cheapest available internet subscription, this wasn't possible. So instead, we offered him to upgrade to a higher internet speed at no extra cost, which the customer agreed to. Unfortunately, it turned out that the area switch in the customer's apartment building was limited to 100 megabytes per megabits per second. I don't know. Little b means bits, right? Meaning we could not deliver faster internet to him. We filed a trouble ticket and got the response that the landlord was required to replace the whole switch with a new model in order to get faster internet speeds. And we informed the customer that he would need to contact his landlord about it. Well, this was not okay, apparently. The customer refused to contact the landlord, saying that the landlord would not listen to him. What a surprise that the landlord might not be interested in paying thousands of dollars to replace the whole switch just so one of his rental guests could get faster internet for free. Instead, he demanded that we fix this according to his contract so he would get what he pays for, which is pretty ironic since we're not charging him anything for the upgrade. As if we could just break into the apartment building's basement without the landlord's permission and install a newer switch for him. 
The customer then complained about this to the consumer agency and was apparently sent an email from my company saying that there should be no issue for him to get faster internet, saying that there should be no issue for him to get faster internet, and proceeded to forward a screenshot of this email as proof. Only issue is that the employee at our company who supposedly sent that email to the customer isn't listed in our company role. There is no ticket that had been in contact with the customer like it should, and said information was incorrect with no source as to why the customer now should suddenly be able to get faster internet despite previous notes to the contrary. We told the customer that we would need to contact the department that supposedly sent him the email and check with them about it, to which the customer replied, I'll see you in court, and he hung up the phone. I sure hope he does attempt to take one of our country's largest ISPs to court about not getting faster internet speed for free. I wonder how much that'll end up costing him before the court will settle on him having to live with keeping his internet speed at 100 megabits per second or canceling his subscription. And again, I am a cheap SOB. I will try to get something better for less, faster for less, whatever. Um, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. If I can find a better deal somewhere else, I may switch. I may not. It just depends on how much of a pain in the butt it is to do all that. So I don't mind wheeling and dealing. That's not a problem. But to threaten to take them to court over that when you're really already getting what you pay for, eh, that's not going to work. And it's not going to hurt this big corporation any. It's going to hurt you. Mm -hmm. I won't pay for the internet. Why won't it work? Okay, so this one is a doozy. I was sitting at my desk minding my own business when one of the older ladies at the company comes into the tech dungeon, um, I mean office, to ask for some personal tech support advice. I'm not all that busy at the moment, so I say, sure, what's up? She hands me her phone with a photo of the default pre-shared key, serial number, etc. of our monopolistic ISP's default modem and router combo box and asks which one was the password for the Wi-Fi. I happily pointed out the pre-shared key, but warned her that it would only work if it had never been changed after it was installed by the ISP. She said she never changed it, but when she tried it, it didn't work. It's rather long, I point out, so maybe there was a typo. Then she decides to provide more information. She's refusing to pay for internet service because it's too expensive. I agree, but whatever. They're a monopoly, more or less. And a friend told her that the password is on the bottom of the device, so she should just use that. Here's me now, for the next five minutes, trying to explain and to convince her that you do in fact need to pay the ISP in order to have a connection, and just having the box in your house with lights on doesn't mean that you have internet service. She countered with, I haven't paid them in months and it used to work. Well, yeah, of course. This particular ISP generously gives you two months to pay before they cut you off, lady. Anyway, she grumbled some more before leaving my desk, still mumbling that if the password is on the bottom of the modem, then she really shouldn't have to pay. I really didn't expect to have to deal with that much dumb today. So... I had friends growing up who their parents would pay for internet for a certain amount of time. Well, actually, it was cable at the time. It wasn't internet. Sorry. My bad. That was before cable internet. Anyway, their parents would pay for cable for a while, but they wouldn't pay for premium channels. Somebody figured out that if you went to the big giant flea market up the road from where we lived, you could usually find a guy selling electronics and find a box or at least a few what we called notch filters. They thread onto the coax port. And they usually have some kind of wiring inside that allows the premium channel to come through. They're generally meant to go up on the pole, or I think they were back then, meant to go up on the pole and be put in line with your cable line as it comes to the house. But these guys figured out how to crack them open, do a little bit of soldering, tinkering, shorting out of things, and get all the premium channels that were available for nothing. I never partook in this, but uh, I found it very interesting. But anyway, just to assume that you should be able to have a service for free because it's there and they're a monopoly. It doesn't matter if they're a monopoly or not. The service is the service, and if you want it, you need to pay for it. 
I don't necessarily agree with monopolies, but at the same time, it's kind of how it works. Mother-in-law demands she does not want her email. As with so many of us, I am the de facto tech support for many in my family and in-laws. This conversation happened recently while we were on a trip visiting my mother-in-law. We were helping with her phone with a few issues. Both my wife and I were assisting because the mother-in-law can be very difficult. So my wife didn't want me intentionally triggering her. <laughs> At one point, as we were accessing her email, she got visibly upset. She started to tell us we must not access my email, as she said it. We argued that we need to get a one-time code that was sent or we can't access the account for an app. She insisted we have to go to Gmail. We both know she only has one email account, so we were confused. As it turns out, the phone company had activated a senior-friendly UI on her phone when she got it. Directly on the first screen is a large box called My Email that can't be removed or moved or anything. It opens the built-in application for accessing emails. But she never used it and only went to Gmail. We finally learned after more back and forth the built-in email wouldn't remove an email from the list when it's deleted because it doesn't immediately sync. This is what caused her to get upset and raise her voice to the point she would say, No, 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 I don't want my email, I want Gmail. No matter how we tried to explain it to her, she didn't get it. We settled it finally by disabling the senior-friendly UI and back to the default UI so we can put the Gmail icon on the front screen and she could stop screaming at us. Okay, I understand older people not getting it, and that's fine. But when they start screeching at me, that's when I'm either going to stop helping entirely or I'm just going to do whatever I can to antagonize. Because that's what I do. Alright guys, thanks for sharing a little bit of your day with me today. If you've enjoyed this video or podcast or whatever, do me a favor. Leave some kind of signifier, a thumbs up, a comment, a review that shows that you enjoyed it. Or leave any of those things to show that you didn't enjoy it. Anyway, till the next one, we'll see you.